Anya, hello. Hello, Betty Butler. How are you today? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for making the time to come and have a chat with me. Thank you for asking me to come and have a chat with you. It's my absolute pleasure. Um, so, I'm going to cut straight. I'm going to cut straight to it. Let's do it. Since January, you have been revealing some pretty, pretty major personal and professional truths. I am here to have a conversation with you today about what compelled you to do that. I do. I mean, I have to acknowledge, you know, January was, uh, it was the end of the second year of the pandemic. Uh, we had been, you know, pretty much running constantly since March 2020. Yeah. This was December 2021. I'd already been in a situation of quite severe burnout at the end of Abergavenny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the pandemic had happened and I'd thrown myself into the food union. And, and, and I think uh, a lot of uh, my frustration or my unwillingness to continue to be complicit in an industry that was really hurting me on yeah. a professional and personal basis um, had, I'd, I'd just run, I just, I just, had got to a point where I was totally willing to burn it all down. Yeah, I remember. To something I, new. I remember. Like I just didn't give a shit anymore. At that point, and you saying to me, you know, I've, I've, I've had it. Fuck this. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to do. Do you have any regrets about starting this process? About starting the process? Not at all. No, no. I think it's really difficult uh, for people who don't necessarily know me that well in terms of the context of my life and work uh, to understand kind of what I'm going on about right Uh, I I keep kind of going oh well I've got this story and it's quite a significant story and I'm going to find the courage to tell it and I'm but 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 nobody's really that clear about what it is yet and I think if I was if what I was saying was I'm completely done with the the Twin Set and Pearls Brigade and the national food media set and the wealth and the privilege is an outrage to me. That would be one thing, right? Because that's one specific target group and other people who are not that group can support you in going, yes, that's exclusionary and it's classist and it's rubbish. And just like if it was just the coked up fire and knives chefs group and I was going, that's misogynistic and that's addictive and that's unethical. That's also, there's a lot of that going on in Copenhagen at the moment. There's There's a listening to that conversation. Whereas I think what I was kind of doing was, saying well actually i've worked i've worked with all different segments of the industry you were machine gunning the whole lot and then it's all fucked yeah it's yeah. all fucked so i want to get i want to get stuck into this this you know you keep on referring to this story so let's start let's let's start at the very beginning you know what what it is this story essentially it's it's topic led memoir right and it's the story of my work and life to date uh with a specific focus on issues to do with wealth and class and uh misogyny and diversity and inclusion essentially right and because my work has incorporated everybody from the prince of wales right the way through to the celebrity chef food festivals and media lot i I feel like i have a pretty clear holistic overview of of where the strengths and potential, but the issues and ethics that need to be addressed within the industry lie. And and what became really clear to me over time 
is that it's very difficult to successfully have a career in food, media and hospitality in the UK if you a don't already come from a position of wealth and privilege if you don't come from a family background that enables you to either get into that career or have the money to spend on facilitating that career that's something else that I'd like to talk about what happens if you end up in positions of power or prestige but behind the scenes you're actually a freelance contractor being paid less than 30,000 pounds a year and everybody thinks and everybody thinks you've got this incredible high end job. But the reality is you do not have a bank balance as a, as a single income household on a freelance contract to live up to the reputation of the position. Right. It, it, it's an industry kind of intangible or a given that you're able to afford to eat out and you're able to afford to go to London twice a week and you're able to afford to do this. that. But what if you're not? And yet you feel like your role or the reputation of your role is, is uh, demands it. Yeah. The reason for making the decision to do the writing in this format, in in a weekly newsletter, mm-hmm. I'm conscious that this story's got some really big, weighty meta narratives to do with certain topics. And that by telling it in the memoir style or through my personal experiences, rather than have this kind of weighty critique of all these different issues within the industry, it would be more like a mosaic. What you'd gradually get over time is this layering and this building up of these different examples and incidences and stories and that, that over time would create this understanding that there's incredibly endemic issues to do with sex, class and wealth across food and hospitality that we have to start to talk about and think about on a more strategic level than individual chefs or businesses. So why do you feel it's important for people to understand your lived experience and your background in order to qualify as somebody who can talk about these issues? Oh, good question. It is important to me that people understand that I had a relatively severe mental health crisis in 2016 and that by the time I finished up at Abergavenny in 2019, it was quite bad. Um, uh, Well, I say quite bad, actually, it was very bad. (laughs) And that um, uh, the pandemic was this mixture of giving giving me back some of my self-worth giving me back some of my you know the fact that we were able to launch and do Bristol Fujinian and that I was able to finally get that idea out of my head and into the world there's nothing if you're having a mental health crisis there's nothing that helps more than being of service to people who are worse off than you but what I wasn't doing is getting away from the kind of endemic burnout and exhaustion that was underpinning how I'd been working for the last seven years essentially I think I just ended up feeling that um on on this really broad overview of what it's like to try and be a person carving out a career for themselves in food farming and hospitality and that actually what I'd kept running into was you can only be so successful particularly in UK food before you're supposed to defer to wealthier, more powerful men. Actually. OK, fine. But you could tell that story because of the wealth of experience that, that you've got. You know, no one's going to say, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about because you've got the CV and the experience to back it up. But why do people need to know about the trauma of your childhood? Why do you need to reveal that in order to legitimise your argument? 
because of the circumstances of my youth and my teenage years, it's no surprise to me that I ended up in a career where I constantly ended up in relationship with these big, powerful, famous, significant men and and then ended up uh, reenacting or replaying this essentially kind of parent-child dynamic where I'm there going, please accept me, please love me, please see that I'm good enough. And that they're these big, gruff, patriarchal blokes who don't really talk about emotions, definitely do not do like angry, crying, dramatic women asking why they're not being valued more, right? Like that's that's not a thing. Um, uh, and then constantly wondering like, why aren't I good enough? Like my the, the, the whole thing feels like this pursuit in why aren't I good enough? Why aren't I acceptable enough, you know? In the kind of prelim notes, you mentioned the word boundaries and there was this feeling of across your personal and, and professional life of not even though, you know, you are you are very much seen as a and are, I would like to say, an empowered, strong, confident woman. So I think what I've really learned is that um, when you grow up with quite severe violence, uh, that setting a clear boundary or saying what you need emotionally, or saying what, it's not just something that's difficult to do, it's a danger, right? It's like standing up for your own wants and needs could physically get you hurt, right? That's the, that's, that's the, the, the learning. Additionally, I don't set boundaries in my work at all. Uh, Traditionally, what I do is try and take on, I try and be everything to everyone and, and not let anyone down and take on so much that it's almost impossible for any person to deliver against. And traditionally, always in the context of organisations where we didn't have a lot of resource available and we didn't have a lot of people or time or team available. So um, a really good example is Abergavenny Food Festival, right? If, if I was, uh, if, if I had seen that relationship as just a professional and boundaried relationship, I would have gone in to do the festival in the first year. I would have had the experience of delivering it once. And I would have gone back to the board and said, this event is not deliverable with the resources available. It may have been deliverable like this 20 years ago, but actually the industry has moved on as a as significantly in the last 20 years. And in order to deliver this event now, what we need to do is not go ahead and do another festival until we know that we can double the production budget, for example. Well, I didn't do that. What what I did was go, I know that we need loads more money to deliver this event. And the only way that money's going to come is if I find it from somewhere. So, So it felt very much like my personal responsibility to ensure that I found a way to keep this festival, which don't forget has got an extremely well-loved and prestigious reputation. Well, within you know, it's, it's kind of the UK's leading, one of the leading food events. And, and had been for 20 years previously. That's the thing as well, like the weight of this kind of responsibility, or it felt like the weight of this responsibility was, was very much my, <clears throat> sorry, I don't want to get upset. <laughs> yeah, too. Where I get emotional is where there's still healing to be done. Right. I think we've kind of talked about this before, and I think we kind of agreed that 
that we would define that period like you know ultimately you, you had a mental health breakdown whilst running one of the UK's leading food events but I mean what was that experience like for you having going through that that level of kind of burnout breakdown whilst trying to keep it all together and smashing the shit out of the festival how did you do what it the... <laughs> uh, I was living a really strange kind of life to be honest let's think about what was going on in 2016 I'd come back from Italy and spent four years working for really the the wealthiest most privileged most old-fashioned element of the UK land-owning aristocracy that you can possibly come into contact with and that experience had very much left me feeling like I wasn't good enough right and and at the same time what happens in my personal life is my partner of of 10 or 12 years who's never financially really contributed or worked to support his family gets permanent employment for the first time and instead of that being a positive experience that makes things better it's a really negative experience because he ends up in a work environment that completely exacerbates his own sort of addiction or dependency issues so so you've got to understand you also have this convergence of I'm alone in the forest with these two children the, 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 my partner of 12 years is is wildly out of control not not just a little bit at that point yeah. uh my financial situation had collapsed so badly after sustainable food trust that uh you know I had bailiffs at the door like bailiffs showed up and took my car away one morning before I could drive the kids to school and I was living in the middle of a forest in the middle of nowhere like my my financial situation had collapsed really badly if you add into that Brexit at a time when I've been living in Europe for six years and my identity felt really European, all my friends are European, all of my, do you know what I mean? Like Brexit was this hugely painful, I didn't recognise this island and I didn't recognise these people and I didn't know who the fuck they were, but they didn't speak for me. And then the Me Too thing happened. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before. What was really interesting about Me Too was prior to 2016 I didn't have it that I'd necessarily been sexually abused I had it that I'd ended up in some difficult situations I had it that I had definitely maybe once or twice been coerced into doing something that I wasn't that comfortable with but I really didn't have it that I was uh a, a young woman who was vulnerable to sexual exploitation because of the experiences she'd had in her childhood yeah. You don't tell yourself I'm a victim of something. So when 2016 happened and Me Too happened and all these women are sharing all of these stories and they're calling it abuse and their stories pale into comparison compared to my experiences, suddenly you go, oh, fuck, something happened to me. And And I think that was definitely the beginning of quite a significant mental health collapse it's really interesting to me that I met you guys at 14 as well right because to a certain extent like that's the beginning of me going off the rails as a teenager but it's actually the end point of the of of the 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 physically violent trauma that was going on right so um so my parents had a record label they both work in the industry in in the music industry my father had massive drug and alcohol dependency issues and was an extremely violent man and I don't have a problem talking about that anymore and I've talked about that quite publicly in the newsletter since January uh and actually, Which I, I would I, say is incredibly brave and I salute you for it because, yeah, 
So I, I think that yeah. part of what it was as well was the end of Abergavenny, the, the people thinking I have wealth. When I look back now and look at what was going on with me, when you're collapsing internally, when you're very upset and ashamed of yourself and who you are and, and who you're being as a person in your private life, you don't take all of that stuff out publicly, do you? You just go with what's safe or with, with or with what's known. And and my if if you only know me from social media, and the only thing you've seen me post on social media is never-ending pictures of my fucking dinner and restaurants here and free meals there. And I like here. I like the pictures of your fucking dinner. Thank you, thank you. But of course, you come to think I'm a person of of wealth, and and I had a chief executive job title, and chief executives are supposed yeah, to. Be everyone goes yeah. like Kaching. She's on a hundred k. She must be on a hundred k, and I I never should have been called the chief executive because I think. If, if if you have the job title chief executive, people a assume that you're an employee, b assume that you fully work for that organisation full time, and don't think of you for like uh, little bits of comms consultancy. It's very interesting to me that I've automatically then ended up in relationships in my professional life for these big, powerful, dominating men mm-hmm. uh, for whom I will then kill myself trying to deliver, often wildly under-resourced and not being effectively paid for the time involved. Uh, and and that my, At your own cost. So yeah, at my own cost. Financial, emotional, physical... Yeah mental yeah you've paid and my have to take personal responsibility for having these really leaky professional boundaries and and then being so overcommitted and uh like uh, attached to the outcome of the project the outcome of the project isn't just professional the outcome of the project feels like this massive reflection of my personal identity and ability as an individual so do you think that a part of what you're doing now, you are you are being so public with this because, in a way, you are attempting to hold yourself accountable so that you cannot <clears throat> you cannot do this again. Like so that you have to so that you are very loudly saying to the world, "I am going to instigate boundaries from now on." Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then that means that you actually have to do it because you can't you can't seem to do that when it's just down to you. So you're kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really perceptive thing to say. I think I reached a point last Christmas where I had gone from my father to my partner to Petrini to Patrick Holden to Abergavenny Food Festival uh, to Bristol Food Union and all of the Bristol Boys Club and Chef. And, And I reached a point last year where my life has been significantly affected and dominated by men who do not treat the women around them well and often men who have uh not in some of those professional cases but certainly in others uh their own set of uh dependency or addiction issues right and my tolerance for being willing to take shit from boys my tolerance for that behavior has just just collapsed like just I didn't care if I never worked in the industry again if it meant that I didn't have to ever ever again put up with that kind of behavior from a man who had drunk too much or taken too much cocaine so here's a big question for you 
by revealing these truths about yourself and about the industry, what are you hoping to achieve? Change. I mean, I hope change and transformation. There's no time left, Leslie. Like, uh, the, what keeps me going when I get scared on the in an internal sense of like, why am I doing this? What if it ruins my career? It's costing me friends. It's upsetting people around me. Why am I doing it? It's because I came back from Italy 12 years ago. And I knew at that point that the climate crisis was going to significantly disrupt our ability to feed ourselves in the future. And when I sit quietly in nature, breathe deeply and connect into something that's bigger than myself, there is something about how on a good day with the wind behind me, I can communicate about food in a way that for whatever reason seems to inspire others to think about what can I do? Okay. And and my and, and, and if I can tell the story right and if I can tell it in powerful ways and what it will do is empower a load of other women to feel like they too can step into the space of telling the truth about their experiences of trying to work in this industry. Right now, what would you like your work life to look like? I think this is why I've been slightly stuck, actually, is why I feel slightly stuck between this kind of rock and a hard place with the writing, because uh, ultimately I still have to generate that 36k basic in order to be able to support my family. And I've spent 20 years working in the food space and I can get paid as a really, you know, decent consultant working within the food space. Um, Can I do that? and advise like cities and regions and mayors on creating food and agricultural policy or or restaurants and businesses on how to run a more ethical, sustainable business and still be financially viable. Can I do any of that sort of work and still have this like writing in this newsletter and this, which is like, we're going to talk about, you know, boys and chefs and abuse and drugs. And, and, and uh, I don't, it's felt like an either or, I've been stuck in this space of it's and that not in itself to do both. It says so much about the industry, doesn't it? That you feel silenced yeah. by it. Ultimately, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm scared. Yeah. I'm scared. If I'm honest, I'm scared. I mean, I'm not scared on like a, a, a philosophical level. I'm scared on like a real practical level. I'm little old me with a blog. And I've got some really significant fear that some of the stuff I want to say and one of some of the stuff I want to talk about there's going to be there's going to be it puts me at risk actually there's there's going to be significant kickback um uh and how can, how i don't people, know how can people support you sign they can sign up to the newsletter so that i can feel increasingly like there is at least a tiny bit of financial security if people listening to this feel like they, they get an idea of what the story is about. They understand that it's a story about uh, the reality of trying to carve out a career uh, as a woman, uh, as a single parent, as someone on on continually kind of mediocrely paid freelance contracts. Like if, if those issues, if those issues and experiences of trying to carve out a career in the industry ring true to you and you feel like there's something interesting here it's worthwhile someone doing the work of unpicking and telling this story then sign up to the newsletter 
uh, become a subscriber if you can. Uh, and more importantly, just if, if you like what you hear and if it resonates with you, share it, send it to your friends, share it to share it with other people. Uh, that really makes a massive difference. If you see me in Bristol, say hi on the street. I haven't I haven't completely lost my mind. I'm not a weirdo. You don't need to run run in the other direction. Okay. And um, if people have got an issue or um, a story that that they perhaps not feeling in a position to talk about themselves, but it, it's, it strikes a chord with something you're saying. Could they come to you with that? It, it's really interesting because I, I didn't originally think that was my role, right? I, I thought that uh, because of the diversity of experience in my career and the way in which I kept running into the culinary patriarchy, uh, I could tell a story here that's very specific to my personal experiences that, that other women may benefit from hearing. And, and that's kind of the extent of, of, of my role. Um, I'll step into that role if there is a request from the community, i.e. women working across the good food movement in the UK, um, who feel it would be beneficial to have me step into that role, essentially. So um, I'm not adverse to the idea of creating a, a reap and so specific social media accounts. And if people have got stories and experiences and they want to talk about those and they're scared to be um, doing it publicly like I am, or if they, they don't, they, they'd rather remain anonymous. I, I'm open to the conversation about what creating that would look like but but I don't think it's something that should be led by me necessarily I, I I'm very clear about my own experiences within the industry I'm not necessarily here to sp- it, it feels like if I'm doing it right what I shouldn't be doing is speaking on behalf of everybody else the yeah. only thing I have the 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 uh, right and the authenticity to do is to talk about my own lived experience yeah. and to see what lessons we can draw from that right but you could potentially facilitate a conversation around other people's experiences as well if if there is a request from the community for me to occupy that role it is definitely something I think about yeah okay amazing okay so last question for you You've got a really clear idea, I think, about what the the overarching ultimate ambition of this, which is which is change, to see a real profound change uh, within the food industry in, in particular. So looking a bit kind of shorter term, what, what does the next what do the next six months say look like for you? Uh, it became really apparent and clear to me last week the extent to which women's rights and our fundamental uh, desire to coexist as equals in the world is still not being recognised. And I think as women in the UK, we tell ourselves that we're really quite kind of free and independent and that we're not we we are able to make those choices but but we live we we are living within a white colonialist patriarchy that infects and impacts our lives and the lives of all women in in micro aggressions and subtle micro behaviors and all of the time all of the time and and if what's necessary is that women like me who have had success in our given industries but only a certain level of success before we were continually running into a wealthier whiter patriarchy I feel like I have a responsibility to go ahead and 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 talk about my experiences and talk about my stories in the context of what's going on in the world, which is okay. a fundamental attack on the rights of women as equals. 
I, I've come to a point where I feel like it's not a choice, it's an obligation, because if I don't start talking about and sharing my story, I'm letting down all the other women out there who need to hear that the challenges they face or how hard they find it or why they don't seem to succeed as easily as some other people around them, even if they're better at their jobs, uh, is not a them issue. We as women have a tendency to make, we, we, t- we internalise everything. We say, yeah. I must not be good enough. And I want other women to know it's not you. It's the entire fucking game is rigged, guys. Okay. So let me ask you again, what does the next six months look like? I'm giving it all up. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a waitress. That's what the oh. next six months look like. Um I, I've really realized I can't occupy this space where I try and do you know senior level consultancy on the one hand and tell this radical truth on the other. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm giving up my financial security in order to be able to tell this story. I, I'm giving up my idea and my identity of myself as a uh, you know senior director chief executive within the food and hospitality industry like that's gone for me now uh I have been offered safe haven by um a restaurant I have an awful lot of love and time and affection for um and I'm, I'm gonna work there full-time I'm gonna do 40 hours a week I'm gonna fucking stamp that hospitality floor once more hopefully it won't kill me I think what it will do is keep me connected to food and, and to industry issues and to in a way that the writing will really need me to be. And I'm going to be really poor, but and possibly have to declare myself bankrupt. But but I don't care. like I, I'm willing to do that if what it means is it puts me in a place where I'm free to tell the truth about what the last 20 years of my life have been like. I salute you. Well, I can't <laughs> wait. I cannot wait to see what you know, what you're going to write, what you're going to reveal. I know that you are the woman for the job. My focus is food and my focus is hospitality, but actually this is a story about how it's simply harder to exist as a woman, irregardless of how good you are or how hard you work. And and I'm done with that. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right. And and the patriarchy is not making the decisions or growing and evolving in the way it needs to in order for us to be able to live well on the planet full stop in the future. So it, it's time to pick my balls up and 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 just tell the truth. Come on. Forget your balls, pick your tits up. Sorry, pick my tits up. It's time to pick my tits up and tell the truth. Yeah. Thank you, Leslie Butler. It's been a joy. Thank you, Anya Morris. Always a pleasure.